0: Are you bored at your job? Does your work leave you feeling unfulfilled? If so, stay with me. We're going to learn how God can help us experience real, lasting joy and fulfillment every day when we get up and go to work. Don't go away.
1: Welcome to this weekend edition of Living on the Edge with Chip Ingram. The mission of these daily programs is to intentionally disciple Christians through the Bible teaching of Chip Ingram. This past week, we launched our series, Answering the Call, how to discover and fulfill God's purpose for your life. For the last few days, Chip's been challenging us to think about our work as an act of worship to God, which is radically different than the world's view. Today, we're highlighting the first half of Chip's message, Why Your Work Matters to God. And whether you've been at the same job for years or looking to start a new career, this program will cause you to see your work in a fresh, more meaningful way. So with that, turn in your Bibles now to Colossians chapter three, as we join Chip for his talk.
0: Now in your notes, it says a theology of work. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just take a run at something, okay? And so I, sometimes when you're gonna do something, you feel like you're gonna crash into something. I like to tell people, are you ready? We're gonna try and crash into something. It says a theology of work. Theo means God, ology is a study of. We're gonna do a study from God's perspective of how he views work. So with that, let's just do a little study together. First is God is a worker. Genesis 2, 2 and 3, notice in your notes. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he has done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day, and sanctified it because he rested from all his work which he had created and he had made. And we don't have time to get into it, but there's about four Hebrew words that are translated when, when work is done. Uh, two of these Hebrew words uh, talk about times where work has to do with anguish and toil and suffering, and it's after the fall or when it's self-imposed. Uh, when the Egyptians were making the Israelites work, there's a, there's a Hebrew word for that and they their tiresome toil. It's, it's, it's their suffering. Someone's making you do something you don't want to do. The other two Hebrew words talk about building, creating, activity, um, delighting, very, very positive. The God of the universe, are you ready for this? He works, so it can't be evil, right? He works, he creates, he builds, he makes, he constructs, he sustains. God is a worker. Have you ever thought of God as a worker? Have you ever thought that God has a job? God has a career, you know? And his career is to speak into existence all that there is, and he's working right now. The scripture says he upholds all things, what? By the word of his power. Jesus has a job. You know what Jesus is doing right now? He's praying for you. 24-7. How's it work? I have no idea. But he's at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you. The Holy Spirit, third person of the Godhead, he has a job. What's his job? His job is to manifest the presence and the power of Christ in the life inside of believers, to give you grace to impart all that you need to create actually the want to and the ability to allow Christ to live his life through you. And the Holy Spirit has a job description for those who are not yet in Christ. What's he do? He convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit of God has a job, he's working. So work must not be bad. Second observation in our theology of work is God created people to be his co-workers. Look at Genesis 2:15. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. God made the world. And when he made the world, remember what he said? It is good. And then God made mankind, Adam and Eve. And then he said it is very good. And so what I want you to just get is God is a worker. We are created to co-create and work with him. And then notice work after the fall. Genesis 3, 17 through 19 in your notes. We notice that this is where there's a a shift, there's a turn, and it gets pretty ugly. After Adam and Eve have sinned, sin enters the world. And the sin impacted human mankind, but it also impacted creation. Jot down in the side of your notes Romans chapter 8. Because a little later, what we're going to learn is the whole creation is going to be groaning for a day when it comes out from under the subjection of what the curse has done. Work is going to be different. It's going to be frustrating. The work will not be cursed. Be careful with that. The ground is cursed. The work is still to be a co-creator with God. The work is to have meaning and purpose and creativity. But now, instead of it being all delight and being downhill, it will always be uphill. But you're still made in the image of God. Now it's going to be in an environment of hostility and war. Look at what the text says. Then to Adam God said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. Why? For your sake. In your toil or work you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. What's happened is work didn't get cursed, the ground got cursed. And it produces what? Frustration. Now, by the way, this was a gift of grace. Did you notice that little phrase? It was cursed for your sake. I don't know about you, but I know God, every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. So how does this gift of cursing the ground, where's grace in that one? But Let me step back and have you look at something. Mankind lived in a perfect environment with a God that loved them perfectly. Now they sin and there's a guard put around and the guard put around is so that this state can't stay there forever. From the foundations of the earth, God giving us freedom and free will to make choices to to rebel against him. Knowing that would happen, but knowing the price tag of willful, voluntary love is to give people the opportunity to say yes or no to the one who wants to love them. And then after the fall, this curse every single day when we get up and work is hard, and relationships are hard. I mean, you know the uh, what's the scientific word for it? Entropy. Everything is winding down. I, I don't, I don't mow my yard, and then it starts looking better every day, right? I, I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, every single day I get uglier and uglier and older and older, not better and better, right? That's why you got, you know, you got to work out and cream and vitamins, and no matter what you do, it happens anyway. But since the fall. That's life, right? You know what that tells you? It tells you something's wrong. It reminds you every single day, relationships are hard, work is hard, it's frustrating, it's uphill, it's doable, but the curse was given to remind mankind that this is not how it was ever intended to be. And when, when do most of us turn to God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind and seek Him and say, Oh Lord, I need you? Is it when everything is going great? The family relationships are wonderful. The money is pouring in. Peace like a river. Everything's wonderful. You know, you just, you know, everything's so good that you just say, I think I just, uh, you know, I only usually pray for an hour or two. I think I'll pray for 10 or 12. I'm teasing. You run to God and I run to God when pain hits and you're frustrated and you don't have answers and when relationships break apart and when biopsy reports come back positive and when jobs are lost and when retirement that you worked for for years and years and years drops out of sight, when the stock market drops 500 or 1,000 points. When you find out that the company that you work for and the money that you put in it is gone. When you find out one of your kids is on drugs. When your mate of 21 or 32 years, leaves a note on the refrigerator door that says, you know what, it's been nice, but I don't love you anymore, and they're gone. It's in our pain and frustration and disappointment that we recognize, I can't make it. I'm not God, I have needs please help me the ground is cursed to provide an ongoing frustration and difficulty of doing life in your own power where we all what what was the temptation if you eat of this you will be like god the cursing of the ground is to remind you and to remind me as you ain't like god at all you are not self sufficient you are not in control You are not the center of the universe. And the pain and the difficulty of a fallen world drives us back to say, God, I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. And so one of the consequences of the fall with regard to work is the ground is cursed and our lives are frustrated. Our response to this, in my experience, is two extremes. Imagine, if you will, sort of this idea of work. And I want you to imagine, you know, way over here is an extreme. And then all the way over here. And on the top of the line, it says W-O-R-K. And people's response after the fall to work is one extreme on the far left is that work is a necessary evil. We've touched on that. In other words, work, Genesis 3, the fall, Unconsciously, work is bad, work is cursed. God's judgment is on work instead of the ground. It's a necessary evil. Find something, make enough money, you know, get, get those things taken care of so you can really live. Just get it out of the way. You need so much money to pay the mortgage, you need so much money for food, you need so much money to buy or rent a house, you need so much money for a car. Life isn't about that. Just get that part of it over with so that you can have meaningful relationships, serve God, love people, care for kids and grandkids, and you just sort of mm, bite your lower lip and say, you know, work is a royal, royal pain, but I guess it's because of the fall, and I'll just get through it. The other extreme in response to the fall is over here is that I will find my significance, and I will rule my world, and I will win, and work is what will make me significant, and I'll show you. I'll work harder, I'll work longer. I will build bigger, I will build better. My life is my work, my identity is my work. And then we create an entire pecking order, right? So, you know, if you have a job where your hands don't get dirty, you're kinda way up here, and if you have a job that creates a lot of zeros around your name, at the end of it, then you're way up here. Or if you have a job, even if it's not that much money, if there's a lot of letters after your name, you know, PhD or TH something or ED something, or MS or MBA, well, that's something. And then we have the pecking order. But if you have a job where your hands get dirty or you do certain things that we decide, then you're not as significant. So our work becomes the value and estimation of our significance. And every little boy and every little girl grows up in a world where by and large that's true. And I want to suggest that both of those extremes are unbiblical. Let me play this out. You know, I'm talking to my son or daughter and they're ready to go away from school or uh, they're, they're graduating from high school and they're making career choices and they're asking me kind of what they ought to do. And, um, and this, is, this is supposed to be a spiritual, wonderful, godly response because I so love my kids. And so when, when they talk with their kids in counseling for many, many years, here's what I hear over and over and over. You know, my son or daughter, you know, they have to declare their major and they don't know exactly what they ought to do. And you know what I did? I just said, Well, honey, whatever will make you happy, that's what I want you to do. You see, I believe you're a narcissist. And I believe I'm the parent of a narcissist. And so what really, the world centers around you and whatever you want to do, whether it's valuable to society, whether you're gifted for it, whether uh, it has any value whatsoever, I just want you to be happy. (laughs) And we slide into it, don't we? Then there's the other side of what should I do and, well, what's the job market like and what can you, you know, that's a stupid job. Man, you're going to be cleaning tables the rest of your life if you do something like that. I've looked at it. Tell you what, this is the job where you can make money. And so what we tell our kids is one of two things. We want you to have a job where either you make a lot of money and you can be successful. Because money is how you become significant, and money is how you get stuff, and stuff is what makes you a somebody, and comfort and pleasure is what will really fulfill. Of course, that kind of breaks down when you go to L.A. and you see all those people with all that money and all that comfort and they put all that white powder up their nose and change mates like underwear about every six weeks. But anyway, let's not deal with the facts right now. You know, you gotta make a lot of money, (laughs) or we want you to be happy. And my point is, all that goes back to a perverted, unbiblical view of work after the fall. God is a worker, it is good. God called us to co-create, to build, to make, to shape, to subdue, and so, It is a good thing, but the fall has introduced that it is going to be hard, it is going to be difficult, and that produces frustration for us and a tendency to think it's a necessary evil or it's the answer. Fourth, work under the lordship of Christ. Uh, Colossians 3, 17. Colossians 3, 17. Apostle Paul says, and whatever you do in word or deed, that covers about everything, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through God the Father. So he, he says here, wait a second. And whatever you do, in word or deed, working, talking, speaking, do it unto, you take it, it's sanctified, and you do it as an act of worship and service unto God. I mean, many of you maybe have uh, read the little booklet. Uh, it's a, just a thin little paperback about Brother Lawrence. And practicing the presence of God. And he was a, a monk probably 400 years ago or so. And he, uh, his job in the monastery was to do the dishes. And he began to write how he would offer each dish to God. And in every moment of the day, he would pray and, and honor God and, and take his life as literally a living moment-by-moment sacrifice. And if you've never read that book, that book was a little turning point. I'd been a Christian maybe a couple years. And so I would get up and I would pray and I read my Bible because I was with a group where that was really important. And I'm glad it really helped me. And I'd maybe memorize a verse. And then once a week, I go to a Bible study. And I would pray. And then I would look, click off. And then I'd just go do through my day. And I could go all day, not think about God. And then, oh, before I go to bed, click. Hi, God, I'm back. You know, like he went somewhere. And I would pray because you're supposed to do that. And then I go to bed. And I read that little book. And I realized I was missing about uh, 23 and a half hours of the day is that God was with me at basketball practice. And God was with me when I walked from class to class. And I could talk to him anywhere, anytime. And I could be in a test and not remember something and say, Lord, could you bring this back to my memory? I'd like to do the very best I can. I want to I do my schoolwork unto you. I, I don't want to impress my teachers. I, I don't wanna, It's not, My grades are not the indication of my value or my worth. Lord, I, every moment of every day of everything, I, I'd like to learn how to practice your presence. And th- this is what he's talking about here. That it changes work. It sanctifies work. You know, a young mom driving kids to school, cleaning the house, and creating an environment that is nurturing and loving is as important to God done unto the Lord and will receive the same kind of reward as uh, any pastor, any missionary, preaching God's word in the most difficult places of the world. Because when you do what you're called to do and when you do your work unto the Lord, it is sanctified. It is sanctified. It's set apart. And that, that see, we unconsciously, we're always comparing ourselves with other people. You know, I got news for you. You know what? This is not a party line. God doesn't call and get, you know, half a dozen people on the wire and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking about all of you, and then about 10 years, I'm gonna check up and find out, you know, who's doing best, you know, and then I'm gonna rank you one, two, three, or four. He has my number. He's got your number. He has a reason to call me. He's got a different reason to call you. He made me different than he made you. He gave you a different background, different parents, different intellect, different personality, different spiritual gifts than me. So his call and success is you doing what he made you and called you to do and when you do that unto the Lord, whether it appears grandiose and outward or whether it's quiet and behind the scenes, then you are working unto the Lord and it has eternal value, think of that.
1: been listening to part one of chip's message why your work matters to god he'll be right back with his application for this teaching from our series answering the call Are you looking for a job, starting a new career, or just desperate for a fresh perspective on your current employment? Through this eight-part series, Chip unpacks what the Bible has to say about this idea of work and reveals why God intended it to be more than just what we do for a living. Stay with us as we discover how to find genuine enjoyment and fulfillment in our work and bring praise to God through it. To get more plugged in with this series or our many resources, visit livingontheedge.org. That's livingontheedge.org. Well, before we go on, Chip's joined me in studio to talk about what's been on his heart recently.
0: Thanks, Dave. I'll be right back in just a minute with some final thoughts from today's message. But I just want to take a moment and share with you something very exciting that's happening in my life. Uh, I go to a church where uh, the people are super young, and most of them have very little experience to the gospel, the Bible. And uh, Teresa and I opened our home and said, would you just want to explore the faith? And some are believers, and some are seekers, and we're just having a fabulous time. And the one theme that I keep hearing, I mean, these are 22, 23, 24-year-olds, and they just are asking, is there any real purpose in life, and how do you discover God's purpose for your life? And I'm reminding them that God has a mission, that they are His workmanship, they're His tapestry, they're His work of art, that God has a good work from the foundations of the earth, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that He's prepared for them. And, and what I want you to know is that He's got that for you as well. I want you to think about maybe a young person or, or maybe even yourself, and do you know your purpose? Do you know your mission? Do you know how you you're wired? Do you know your gifts? Do you know how you fit on a team? Well, I want you to know if those are questions that you're asking, Living on the Edge right now has some answers. We've created a brand new resource called The Real You. It's an online questionnaire designed to provide insight into how God wired you. Uh, This is more than spiritual gift test. You'll identify the patterns in which you think, what motivates you, and why teams need someone just like you. It'll take about 20 minutes to complete, and it won't cost you a thing. Then, based on your responses, the real you will offer suggestions about how you can practically live out God's purpose for your life, whether that's at home, in the office, at church, or in your community. As a Living on the Edge partner, we want you to be the first to access this resource. Head over to therealyou.org to learn more. That's therealyou.org. Most Christians don't know how to leverage their God-given wiring and experiences for the kingdom. We want to change that. Thanks, Chip. As you can tell, we
1: are really excited about this new resource. We hope The Real You will help you discover who you are and how God made you to think, act, and live. And as Chip said, you can sign up for this free assessment by going to therealyou.org. Or if it's easier, text REAL to 74141. That's the word REAL, R-E-A-L, to 74141. App listeners, tap special offers. Well, with that, Chip, let's get to that application you promised. As we
0: close today's program, I want to give you a vivid reminder that we have an enemy. And his goal as our enemy is to deceive us with lies. And sometimes we think it's about, you know, like really big moral things. But can you imagine if the enemy could deceive you about what you do 60 or 70 percent of all your waking hours, your work? He wants you to believe that work is bad. It's a distraction. It's something just to get done to go on to something better. And if we buy into that lie, if we surrender those waking hours, the real life, what God wants to do in you and through you, can be completely or almost completely wasted. God says, I am the creator. I made you to co-create with me. I want to do things that are wonderful and exciting, and I want to do them through you. I give you skills and talents. Are you ready for this? Do you believe this? You are unique. And then he says... And I know what's best for you. I know what you'll love to do. And you know what? There aren't big jobs and little jobs. There aren't big places and and little places. There aren't even big people and little people. God has made you unique. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And he wants you to do something that only you can do. And when you do that, and when you do it unto him, it's transformational, not only in your life, but it brings beauty and life and encouragement to others. It's different for every single person. Knowing that's the way God thinks about your work, it'll change when you get up in the morning. It'll change how you relate to people. We're going to learn how to transform our work from a job to an exciting adventure of worship.
1: Thanks, Chip. As we close, I want you to know that as a staff, we ask the Lord to help you take whatever your next faith step is, and we'd love to hear how it's going. Would you take a minute to send a note or give us a call? Either one is easy. Email us at chip at org, or give us a call at 888 You've been listening to a selected program that we wanted to share from this past week. To hear more of Chip series, Answering the Call, go to livingontheedge.org or the Chip Ingram app. Until next time, I'm Dave Druey saying thanks for listening to this weekend edition of Living on the Edge.